0: Welcome to this episode of the Coffee and Technology Podcast. In this episode, we speak with Lucas Cuadros. Lucas is the co-founder of Unblended Coffee. Unblended Coffee is an importer that specializes on socioeconomic progress of young coffee growers in Colombia. Lucas is a young coffee entrepreneur that comes from a distribution background in the construction industry. We'll discuss what entrepreneurship means to him in the coffee industry and the challenges and opportunities that come with working with a group of young Colombian coffee producers. Hope you enjoy. Stoked because we have a... Another young guest, uh, entrepreneur of and a new entrepreneur in the coffee industry in and uh, super stoked to uh, to have our guest on today and uh, to get talking about young coffee producers and tech. and It's going to be a really exciting conversation for sure.
1: Oh, wonderful! I look so much forward to that.
0: Yes, yeah. and with that, welcome Lucas Lucas Cuadros from Colombia, man. Super exciting to have you on the podcast.
2: Ooh. <laughs> How are you?
3: <laughs> well, no, thank you, thank you. It's like, uh, um, uh, quite the introduction. I hope not to disappoint
0: <laughs> a lot of push but i uh, thank you. It's like quite an honor, Norbert, and Nick, thank you for the invite. Yeah, man, for sure. I mean, for me, it's is especially exciting because you're someone a little bit older than me, my age, that I really look up to and I learn a lot from just as much as like. Norbert for his generation, I, I look up to as well. And, and I think having both of your perspectives today, we on whatever, whatever we, we talk about, you know, it's going to be not just interesting for me, but for our listeners as well, who, uh, I'm sure we'll, might have a lot of questions after this as well. Um, with that, Lucas, maybe you could tell us a little bit about, uh, who you are really quick and your, your project un, unblended and how that all ca- kind of came to be. Okay. Well,
3: thank you. I'm, I'm especially looking forward to this conversation. I think it's going to revolve around entrepreneurship, like being having Norbert here, uh having you priming that. So um I hope we can trigger some good conversations with this podcast. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, my name is Lucas. I'm from Colombia. I'm Nick's age, a good friend of Nick. Uh I live in, in a small town in Colombia called Buga. I was a swimmer my whole life and I ended up in the U.S. from 2013 to 2019 and and on a swimming scholarship at Wingate University. That was perhaps one of the experiences in my life that I'm more more grateful about and that I hope um, more people can get access to sort of opportunities. So it opened the doors uh, for me to a wonderful country that praises entrepreneurship and praises uh, the individual work of a person and then after graduating from marketing I started a marketing company in a city called Monroe North Carolina close to Charlotte and then I we were doing websites and social media marketing for five small uh, businesses in the area like a restaurant a spa a car shop nothing fancy but a lot of learning uh, Lot of good learning experience. I was a little bit tired of it, and then I joined an, an MBA at Clemson because I didn't want to leave the US just yet, and my visa required me to go back to school. So I was like, oh, I want to do an MBA. I applied for a, um, a scholarship with the Colombian government, and, uh, and yeah, and then. In that program, which was really good and I really recommend, it was an MBA on entrepreneurship and innovation. So from day one, we had to like bring a project to the class and then every single class on that whole program revolved around that project. Like you would study finance through the lens of your project, study accounting through the lens of that project, law, operations, marketing, so on and so forth. And um, around that time, my uncle, my mom's brother, he had a specialty coffee farm in Medell- close to Medellin, in Betulia, Antioquia. And then he asked us to do a website. Uh, this was late beginning of 2018, a website for him to sell um, roasted coffee. So we did, uh, but he didn't have any money. So we we're like, okay. We'll do it for you. And then you pay us commission on the coffees that you sell. And we did the website. We launched it. We brought the coffee. My my room was the, the warehouse. We had a bunch of like roasted coffee there. And, and we sold to my friends and that's it. So we already sold like, like 20 bags. <laughs> <laughs>
0: At least you sold coffee, we, you know? <laughs> I don't
3: know. Yeah, but then we had like 80 more in my room. And then... <laughs> I would, I would, I would move one of those boxes. a Whole smell of roasted coffee. <laughs> everything smelled like roasted coffee. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was good. That was good. But except when you're like very tired at night, everything smells like roasted coffee. You wake up. Well, that was a good experience. Yeah. So we didn't sell. Uh, after, I mean, and we, after that first experience, but this is something good, and I guess an insight about entrepreneurship. And probably Norbert, if you have a better metaphor, we can use this part of the story to like, <laughs> uh, so you can show your metaphor too. But I think entrepreneurship is like going into a dark room and then you get like this little, um, ma- uh, fire match, match. Like yeah. a, mm-hmm. a match. So you, you turn it on and then there's for this brief little time during the, while the flame is going on, you can see just a little bit, then you can, that e-commerce project for us was the first match I ever lived in the coffee industry in this dark room that it was for me. So I lit it up and I saw, I mean, I guess a door and that door was the, the next project that it led, um, which was trying to sell that roasted coffee uh, that it was obviously not working in the e-commerce. Uh, but I had a 80 little bags of roasted coffee in my room. So I was like, how can I sell those? So I went to this supermarket and the manager was Colombian. And then I was like, ah, this is my way. And so I talked to the Colombian guy. He's like, oh yeah, I have this coffee. Uh, why don't you let me sell it here? He's like, No, man, I cannot. But I was so insistent that the guy, the guy was finally, the guy, the guy was finally like, okay, fine, man. Like just put it here on consignment. Let's see if it sells. Uh, so I did. We put it on consignment. One week, uh, I went on Monday, dropped the coffee, and then on Friday, I I go after class, and he's like, hey, Alex, how's the coffee going? And he's like, oh, man, nothing has sold. I was like, oh, shoot, got to be kidding me. Like, why don't you just let me come tomorrow, and I'll sell them myself, and then you keep whatever I sell. He's like, okay, fine. So I went, dressed up with a hat, you know, a a nice shirt like this, Uh, and then I went and stood the whole morning there talking to every single person on a Saturday morning that walked into that (laughs) nice supermarket. He's like, hey, I have this coffee. Uh, Would you want to try it? And I sold one bag, one bag, Marburg. Four hours, one bag. (laughs) That's that's terrible. (laughs) And then the guy is like, no, man, it's not going to work out. Please take your bags and go home. And I was like, okay, Alex,
0: <laughs>
3: thank you for letting me try.
0: <laughs> no, but that's one thing about you. You're, you're very insistent. You're very like, you want to push You want to keep going until, until you can anymore. Which I'll, is yeah, cool. I'll
3: tell you how insistent I was at that time. So and something um, <laughs> good about that whole MBA program is that part of a class was that our weekly homework, we had to turn in 10 meetings every week it was like a a whole paper and we had to list the meetings that we had and what did we learn about each meeting and those meetings need to be with potential customer potential supplier uh, suppliers or mentors so it was a lot of pressure. I was like, fuck, oh, I'm sorry. I was like, oh man, I cannot, <laughs> I cannot. <laughs> I'm out of the, I'm out of the supermarket. I'm out of the e-commerce. There goes another match. There's like this door e-commerce didn't work. Uh, retail didn't work. What's next? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I met a guy that was <clears throat> managing these golf courses. Well, that didn't work either. I've made this story very long <laughs> until, until I, I, I met, um, the, the, there is a roastery besides Clemson and I met, uh, uh, there was, I I looked on the website and there was a guy named Marcos Suarez. And then I looked, I looked and I was like, Oh, this guy's Latin. This is my way. In. So I went in and, and I, I asked for Marco and then he's, he's very, he's like blonde and has bl- blue eyes. He's like, no Latin at all. Just his dad is from Chile. And I was like, oh, Marco, I thought you were Latin. He's like, oh, no, my dad is. But that's how we got connected. And then that's how I got introduced to, to green coffee. So he's like, why don't you do a copying with us? Yeah, we'd we, we like to learn what you're doing. And that was my first copying ever. I was like uh, behind behind the wheel. Uh, he was like doing with this with the spoon. I was just looking at him and, and trying to, to replicate what he was doing but that was like the first actual sale so after four doors we got a sale in something in coffee but it was totally different uh didn't have to do anything about e-commerce nothing about roasted coffee but it was a way in um i guess that's the story (laughs) from then there are a lot of stories but (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's amazingly inspiring i have to say and i really can relate i mean um you know if, if you're an entrepreneur just make sure you have a really fast um amount and, and a good a uh, good good source of those matches because you you yeah. you always need them and you know, it's <laughs> when you lit your first match, it's like get out of the dark room. And it's like yeah, oh, it's not that easy, right? You 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 get from one dark room to another dark room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but uh but no, it's just, this is very cool and I think that's that reflects uh yeah, just the, the reality of entrepreneurs in general. You have to be insistent and I really admire that, so that you you were just at it and you know the spirit you take it and the spirit you reflect on it it's not like oh it didn't work up oh, what can i do just walk away i was like no even like the supermarket story is super cool right you went in oh, there's a high chance that it sells on its own i mean it's, ultimately right. it's a supermarket right but you didn't let it do just to chance like no i will try i will try to move this <laughs> and well, yeah, what else what else can you do right that there's right right you push it to the absolute limit. Very cool. Also knowing for yourself that at this time at this supermarket that was not yours. But um, mm. anyway, yeah, so yeah, it, yeah. it's very, very, very awesome to to understand that you are now standing at a very different um, stage, and and you have evolved basically from the roasted coffee sales to the green coffee. Mm. Can you can you talk a little bit more about that?
3: Oh, well, the green coffee. So be- before going mm-hmm. in deeper into the green coffee, mm-hmm. something that I appreciate about when I read entrepreneurial real stories, like one of my favorite books, The Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, the story of Nike. Mm-hmm. And because it tells the dates very precisely and all that story that we told like in a couple of minutes, it happened in four months. You know how many frustrated nights there are in four months of not approaching, not working out? And this is what a lot of entrepreneurial stories miss. Like it took four months to get the first sale and a lot of frustrated nights. And then to this day, that was the beginning of 2018. It's been a little bit over three years since then. And still, I haven't taken any money from me. Now the team is, there are four people in the team, uh, but I have another job. There's a guy in the U.S. that, you know, the business sustain his family and himself. My sister is in the business. She has a salary. There's another guy, Juan, in Medin, He has a salary. And the business, you know, it's going. But this is how much time it takes. Right? So now on the on, trip on green coffee. So that was my first time actually seeing a green coffee in that cupping. I had never seen green coffee in my life, even though I was from Colombia. Very disappointed, I felt, on the on the culture of coffee in Colombia. Uh, we should push harder to bring more people in. Um uh, so then I, I was just like learning about how to evaluate it, how to copy it, how to all of those things. But I was very lucky that, um, you know, Will granted me the opportunity and, and believed in, in me, even though I had no experience. And obviously, that came with a lot of mistakes in my side. I essentially went to another dark room with one match. And, but except that, that, that room now it had stakes in it, you know, now there was an order, there was money involved. So it was a, a dangerous dark room, you know,
2: <laughs> a lot of
3: pointy things and, a mm-hmm. uh, a lot of room for mistakes <laughs> there. So obviously I made the, all of the mistakes that could have been uh, made. I made them, you know, and it, it cost me, it cost me some money and, um, uh, But then there's another thing. Like if somebody starts a business because of the money, it's not going to go very far. Probably you can relate Norbert. So there's going to be something higher that.
1: There is ways to do it, but it's not the way I would ever do it. Um, But you know, you can always have like an idea, find a VC fund, and hit it hard for a year or two, learn, and either it works, it sticks, or it doesn't. Um, but you also have to accept the reality that most people don't make it, and mm. you know, whoever, whatever you invest, whatever that money is, and wherever it comes from, just it's not working out. And but but I totally agree with you. I think if you have a passion for something, it is it's it's, it's more than money. Money is just a you know it it needs to be involved in a business and that also uh, gives it its sustainable sustainable structure so for yeah. that it's it is very good but um you wanted to solve a problem really and mm. you know so that's it, the, let's that's let's the, hear that <laughs> <laughs> that
3: that's the that's the the key right there i think who who did i hear this from i recently was looking through instagram now coming back to instagram and i appear one of those reels and i heard a guy say I can't remember who, but he said, a business is a design to how to match profit with solving uh, a, a market, people's issues, people's relevant issues. And that design is your signature. That's like your piece of art. And, and that's what I, what I thought. So come, I had a marketing background and mm-hmm. I became you know, surprised how little retail marketing there was at the coffee shop level. So all the information it was it was like Colombia, Ethiopia, Mexico but nothing further even though all the intangibles the story behind the what makes a coffee unique those are all great marketing you know assets opportunities that if you can leverage them correctly it can add a lot to the experience of the person drinking that cup of coffee and then that will translate in money and that will translate in profitability for the whole supply chain. So mm-hmm. when I had to pitch the, the, at the final day at, at Clemson, that I had to pitch like the, the project, what I ended up pitching was a marketing solution for coffee shops that would bring data, right? So it's very relevant for for this conversation from the whole supply chain and transform it in marketing materials. Mm-hmm. Like an email newsletter that you would, or you would scan a QR code on the coffee bag and you would deploy a landing page with all these intangibles, marketing assets, where, where the farm was created, why it made it special, where it was located, a story, a video, you know, all of those things, like, it's not is not to objectify the farmer, but instead use that opportunity of collaboration to create something unique and um an interesting in between like the roaster and the farmer working together to create something special and and create a lot of curiosity and add a lot of value to the, the ritual the experience of making coffee so that's how it that was the thesis I, I was set up to pursue with green coffee
0: and then how how so now with like with unblended like what is unblended how does that how did unblended come out of that kind of thesis and like what is unblended doing with that kind of thought now um in the coffee industry
3: yeah so obviously that was the you know in the platonic world that was the ideal but the reality is that we needed to sell green coffee (laughs) because without the coffee the green coffee sales we couldn't do anything with marketing so what i ended up doing was um Obviously, I didn't have any money. The little money that I had, I had lost in all the mistakes on that first shipment. So I got connected with um, Felipe Trujillo in Colombia, and he happened to have uh, made a deal with a warehouse in in Miami. And he basically, it was a pretty bad deal. It was I was very lucky to come into a very that very bad deal. Essentially, the the deal was. I'll send you these expensive coffees. If you don't sell them in four months, then you'll buy them from me at market price. So obviously this warehouse had all the incentives to not sell it, you know, and just leave it there in the warehouse. So I met Felipe and he said, I have this inventory, everything that you sell from it, I'll give you 20% and you put the prices. So if I, and then I started selling from that inventory, uh, uh, Well, because of the mistakes that I had made, I had met like 20 roasters in like two months. So I had all these connections, like going uh, door by door, going to events, meeting people. And then uh, I met uh, three clients and I started selling them from that inventory and then creating marketing materials around it. Like, uh, you know, the QR codes, we did some landing pages. So that obviously required me to be very connected with Colombia. And also I became really frustrated because I remember Felipe had some coffees and he had no idea who they were from. I was like, how is this possible? Mm -hmm. Like, and, and I, I started to learn that that was actually more common than not, and that the the majority of these coffee transactions happen, uh, behind this close veil of the market price. Um right and i became really frustrated with that so i started going to colombia and like say felipe I, I sold this coffee i wanna please take me to the farm so it was like me and him going to the farm for the first time and then taking pictures meeting the people and trying to establish these relationships and but that was like that seemed a little bit backwards like why would i sell the coffee and then uh establish the relationship It shouldn't be it shouldn't be the other, the other way around so I guess um, <clears throat> Unblended started to become a, a system to sell coffee um, as a representation of the producer. So we understand ourselves more as the managers of these producers, as the representatives here. So in, in that sense, our clients are not necessarily the roaster, are the producer, and they're buying a marketing service essentially. Like we want access to the US, we can represent you, we know the market, and we can help you, you know, build your brand to where you want to take it. So that's kind of like where where I was started. I was like wanting to test out and um then obviously a lot of like matches, uh, dark rooms in the middle. And then I started to learn that, um, that I was also to become very frustrated with the greenwashing in the industry. I was like, well, I'm doing this, but it sounds exactly the same as everybody's saying, how, how is this possible? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, uh. Can you so give
1: I, us a, like an example or a little bit how that like greenwashing is happening on a on a on a broader scale?
3: Yeah. yeah, yeah. So language is very important.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Nothing in the human world can happen outside of the realm of language. So the words that we say and communicate dictate what we do, right? So if in our website we say. We seek deep relationships with the producers. We seek to dignify the work of the hands and the soul and the craftsmanship. It sounds like exactly every, the, the the same thing that everybody says, whether they do it mm-hmm. or not. I'm sure everybody has really good intentions. But mm-hmm. their um you know, their level of commitment to those words can vary. So mm-hmm. um you have to be very, very selective on 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 the words that you use. And I came to learn that the industry in, in the U.S. was using price paid to the farmer as a as a marketing argument, and I thought it was a very weak um, marketing argument because it, it essentially objectified the producer, and 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 really benefited that the the if that's a marketing point, then the benefit is for the people that are using it, and then they. The people using it need the prices to be low, essentially. But as I learn and and please push push back on on these theories that I'm I'm going to I'm going to say because this is that uh, my theory that's being built. I've only been in the industry for three years. I'm 27, so obviously I'm going to say things, and there's somebody gonna be there like this guy's full of crap. And uh, and I hope that's the case because uh, a theory gets uh, built by pushback and you know, different opinions and conversation. But here's what I learned, what I've been learning recently. The problem with prices in the industry is just a symptom. It's not the cause, it's not a problem in itself. It's like fever, right? You get fever because you're sick, but you're not sick of fever, right? There is a, usually a deeper cause. So the problem with prices in the industry is um, um, a, a systematic. A systematic issue that results in low prices, uh, harm in the harm in the environment, uh, poverty in the rural areas, so on and so forth. And um, our industry is trying to come up with solutions to fix those symptoms, like pills, without actually changing the system. And it, if you if you look at it looks a lot like Western medicine. So it's like ingrained <laughs> in our, we, we don't want to change our healthy habits, but we just want to take more pills. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the systematic problem is that coffee is a commodity and it operates exactly the same as the commo- other commodity systems. For mm-hmm. example, all of them has different verticals for their different commodities. So coffee mm-hmm. is just one of them. And we can go on and so forth with different um, big companies. So that that makes them logistic and finance businesses, uh, where they optimize for mass production and mass consumption of replicable goods. That's mm-hmm. all in. Like we need to produce a lot of this, sell a lot of this. And it wasn't until, but one of the difference in cotton, oil, and uh soy all of this commodity coal Great, is that man. coffee you you can make an experience out of it a little bit easier than cotton because I mean you can wear a, a nice t shirt yes yeah, but like with coffee is more romantic there is something special with it so like in nineteen yeah but wine is not a commodity mm-hmm. right yeah at least not um at least that at least it doesn't or you had never operated in this large Commodity systems and infrastructures. Yeah. Um, So it wasn't until 1974 that a lady in California, where you guys are, Mm -hmm. uh, named Edna Knutstein.
1: Erna Knutzen.
3: Erna Knutzen. There you go. How is it, Erna? (laughs) Erna Erna? Knutzen. Uh Erna Knutzen. And this was so recent that she was the professor of one. Of uh, the roasters we work with, and really good, really good guy, yeah. Goodman. Yeah, yeah. So it's very recent, very recent.
1: Amazing. So, yeah, yeah. It's very cool. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. So Erna basically coined the term specialty coffee, as some of you know. And, and what she discovered was value in differentiation. So, I mean, if you know the story, please correct me if I'm wrong. I read it on a blog, so I'm not, you know, morally. <laughs> to 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 say the story as it was but this is what i've read and i found it super inspiring so erna uh broke herself in this uh dark cupping room that was essentially designed for for finding defects in coffee and, and and looking for profiles for blends well let me let me put back some context on here on how the industry was before so, so we can like understand the, the the weight of what Erna achieved. So, as a as a commodity optimized platform, uh, what this what we needed, or what the, the the previous business theory was, to buy from producers in producing areas. You know, uh, there's a lot of ideas of. Um, colonialism involved in in all these agricultural systems. So they go to warehouses, cooperatives, they get blends to match a profile and have the volumes to get then shipped to the consuming countries. But before in 1974, most of these clients were big corporations like Mm -hmm. Folgers, 8 o'clock, all of these things that have different product names under their own labels called nine o'clock roast, French blend, you know, all of these roasters, roaster selection, all of, all of these things. And then these profiles needed to be very consistent across their sales channels, across the year round, in spite of the different harvests that were going on in the year. Yeah. So before 1974, the sales were done in containers. Like we sell three containers to Folgers, two containers. So nobody was paying attention to the, um, and then all these coffees were blended in Oakland to match this certain profile, or in New York, you know, and they were get shipped and distributed to big commercial roasters. Um, so in in a context, in a context of one hectare small farmers in Colombia then obviously, if your production was below a container, your work was to be lost in a sea of anonymity forever. Nobody, you would never know where your coffee was going to end up. And and on, on this side, nobody would really know who was the hands behind it. So, okay, now that was the context before 1974. And what Erna found and discovered value was that the coffees, from Africa tasted differently from the coffees from America and that the coffees from Colombia tasted differently from the coffees in Mexico and Mm. that even inside Colombia the coffees from Huila tasted different from the coffees in Antioquia and this was not a surprise, people knew this but she found value in it so this is about entrepreneurship she found value creation in this at the same historical moment in California there was this anti-corporation movement so there were people you know growing their own food there were people making their own breads they were people roasting their own coffees and for the first time people were building these home roasters and selling it to their friends this was 1970s in oakland california it was a historical moment yeah <laughs> <laughs> so er- erna like made broke herself i oh, don't no, broke herself no no like found a way into the copying lab because mm. women were not allowed in there back then. But I don't know the full story, how did she manage, but she did. And she discovered this. she became really good at finding different profiles. And then she asked, I guess, for permission to sell by the bag. But everybody thought she was crazy. It was like, Erna, we have clients buying by the containers. Why would you lose time selling by the bag? So she found, Who was willing to find value in the differential of flavor, which was these home roasters, Uh, being Starbucks, one of them, uh, Howard Schultz and Pete's and all of these guys that they they later created the specialty coffee association in a um as a as a group. And then she found like the system, she eventually created a company. I forgot the name of the company that was dedicated to finding special coffees and selling to the small. Um, smaller roasters, specialty roasters, right? So what happened in the industry was that the the demand was changed, but the supply was never changed. the The value creating system, um, it, it was changed how we sold and promoted the coffees, but never how they they were produced. So essentially, specialty coffee. Uh, it's, it's um, operates under the theory of finding unique, better, higher quality, distinctive coffees, but it operates under uh, in on top of a structure that optimizes uh, mass production and mass consumption of of goods that are, you know, the same year round, very consistent goods. Mm-hmm. And it essentially becomes a race to the bottom. So we have this uh, incoherence in the system, and that's what creates, I believe, all the problems that we're seeing in in, in our industry today. And and let me let me go deeper on why I, I I believe that's the case. So if we are to ask for higher quality, unique coffees we need to build a system that reinforces a higher quality and unique coffee production and that is essentially a brand's business because if you have a brand Mm -hmm. like cropster like you want to be putting out higher and higher quality of of code year after year Uh, but if you Mm -hmm. never knew if you never got customer feedback how could you do that? and that's the case That's the case with a lot of um, uh, producers, like we ask them for higher and higher quality, but they never get feedback because it operates under that structure. And essentially their coffees get blended at the cooperative. And Mm -hmm. so does their work, hard work and and everything, so on and so forth. So we have two different businesses, a brand's business and a logistics business that are clashing and creating all these symptoms like low prices. crisis.
0: Enjoying this episode of the Coffee and Technology podcast? This podcast would not be possible without the support of Cropster. Whether it's tracking harvest yields, roastery and inventory management, or simply tracking brew recipes, Cropster Origin, Cropster Roast, and Cropster Cafe can help you streamline your workflows and help you operate more efficiently.
1: So that's ex- extremely interesting. And that's also part of my experience and my work I did 20 years ago in, in Colombia <laughs> at the Research Center. To um, basically figure out how to, well, our, our main thesis was how can we help smallhold farmers, and uh, back then we looked at specialty crops like coffee, like cacao, tropical fruits, nuts, honey, where yeah. um, you can break away from the from the commodity market into a specialty market. And back then we ha- we were at about five percent of specialty coffee market in the U.S. Um when I look I say back then, but it's really only a few years ago and <laughs> and <laughs> we thought, well, if that market grows to like fifteen or maybe twenty percent and it was a wild dream, um we would really solve a big problem. Uh, now it's 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 all at, at about twenty five percent of the market is specialty, but right? not everything is highest specialty. I think what you're you're talking here is is already a, the upper segment of of specialty. But I think there's substantial more opportunities for farmers, so I would like to to dig into that a little bit more. Since you, I mean, you you're at yeah, yeah, Origin, yeah. you're right there, right? Uh, you you work with farmers. How 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 does that type of work um come together? And um, I mean, yeah, t- t- tell us a little bit more about how that works. Mm-hmm.
3: Okay, okay, okay. <clears throat> so one of the things that are frustrating and a really good learning experience is that you. When you're in the U.S., it's very romantic. Like, this coffee comes from the hands of Carolina Ramirez. She's <laughs> 34, beautiful lady. And she's putting her, her work, you know, to create this masterpiece. And uh, then that's how I sell coffee in the U.S. You know? <laughs> with, with, <laughs> that's how you but
1: do then it when as you well. cook, then,
3: yeah, <laughs> That's a secret. No. To, to, uh, But but then when you come here, and uh, and then you're like Carolina, we have we have an order, and then all of a sudden the market price just suddenly climbs so high, you realize with a lot of humbleness that the choice comes down to her. She always has the choice. Like Mm -hmm. really, the problem of scaling specialty coffee comes down to the choice of the producer, and they always have the choice. Do I choose to create and uh, work on my personal brand as Carolina Ramirez, this is the example of her, and like have my name be renowned and I want customers to ask for my coffees and that takes consistency and work and time and, 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 and extra work. Or do I just like do whatever and send it to a cooperative, get paid right away for whatever the market price, if the price is good enough, I'll just make myself some pesos and that's it. So it takes a lot of empathy, uh, dedication, closeness to the producers, so they understand that this is a long-term vision. Like
2: mm-hmm.
3: uh, this is something that specialty coffee can be super good because it can be their own brand. They can be Immaculada, La Palma Tucán. They can put their prices on their terms. But if constantly you're faced with a choice, and you don't see long term, uh, you're never going to get to that level.
1: Isn't that also you know, a, a kind of a little bit the story of entrepreneurship? That some farmers are like more interested in that and taking some risks and putting in the extra work, and some other some others are maybe just not. And I think that's also respectable.
3: Exactly. Exactly. So realizing <laughs> realizing that, yeah, yeah, realizing that, um, learning that. Last year, uh, we created an incubator for young Mm -hmm. coffee farmers to understand their farm as a business. Me coming from an incubator mindset, Clemson was sort of an incubator Mm -hmm. for me. So -hmm. we're like, if you son or daughter of a traditional coffee farmer want to take your inheritance to the next level and be the next Immaculada, be the next La Palme and Tucán, we're here for you. Mm -hmm. So we created a program called Uvi. That stands for Unblended Ventola Institute that's focused on um, uh, young producers. Uh, The youngest is 18, Valeria. She doesn't own the farm. It's her parents that she wants to take over. And then the oldest is Andres. He's 35. He now owns the farm. And then it's a mentor-mentee system. Mm -hmm. We have Felipe Trujillo as a mentor, uh, Sebastian Ramirez, Another producer from Colombia, and recently Diego Campos, the Barista champion, as mentors. There are three mentors. And mm-hmm. then in the mentee side, there are 30. And all of them have farms, or they either inherited a farm or they're working on in their parents' farm. Uh, we teach them about, uh, well, first of all, we do a lot of meetings, and, and, and the, the, the language there is this is a business, we want you to be a coffee professional. So we're going to be here, you know, learning together about branding, marketing, finance, operations, accounting, also farming techniques, processing. So Felipe teaches them about processing techniques. He co-designs the profiles. So we have Mm -hmm. uh, a young lady, Sandra, super good. She goes there with the tanks, creates the protocols, we buy it, whether it comes bad or not, it usually comes very good. Comes out very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we do the fermentations with them, uh, we buy it. And then to teach all the business acumen, we invite roasters. We invited Nick, he's not a roaster, but Nick on the next event, he's going to teach about data collection at the farm level. And we're going. We hopefully this can be a pilot for them to start collecting data with Cropster uh, at the during their harvest to start tracking their cost of production to start understanding their farmers business and take that to the next level. But we we've had other roasters come in and teach things like entrepreneurship 101, uh, home roasting, uh, how to build a menu in a coffee shop in the U.S. So they understand that and understand how it works. So, there's a lot of learning that happens in that connection with when a roaster comes down and teaches what he knows and he learns what they know. It's a beautiful system. So, it creates a lot of buying from both sides.
1: How do you finance it?
3: Uh, So, uh, Ally finances our US operation, and Mm -hmm. we're working with uh, Root Capital to, well, they have this, this hasn't. We're like in, in the due diligence process, I guess, mm-hmm. to be able to finance all the Colombia operation. Mm-hmm. But when it when it's um, in the US, it's thankfully your mutual friend uh, Ricardo.
1: Ricardo, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, do do you think this the, the whole operation can be self sustaining or sustainable financially? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: hundred percent. This is, I don't think they so charity. Personally, I don't think it's a a good design. I think mm-hmm. if you want to create so, a social change, it has to be in a in a self sustaining mm-hmm. in a self sustaining um, thing. And then here I'll bring uh, another metaphor. This one is from Simon Sinek. Simon Sinek says a business is like a car, right? Profit is your gas. Never the purpose of a car is to get gas the purpose of a car is to go from point a to point b but without mm-hmm. gas you cannot go from point a to point b so mm-hmm. the when you bring that to business never the purpose of a business is to make money but uh, without money you cannot get it where you want
1: yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. that's uh, exactly where we found the cropster um because I did like you know I worked in research I did a lot of development projects I did all kinds of I did social work and that's all usually donation financed um and I really missed that uh, that element which would allow to do the right work and to do good work on a longer term perspective and longer term means it needs to be sustainable and um, I really we founded it as a as a I would say almost as a bet against uh, the projects. It's like, well, if we bring something to the market which the market needs, um, and the market is helping to the finance, then we have something which can, we can develop further and can la- uh, run on the long run. And here we are, fifteen years later. It's beautiful. The gas beautiful. is still there.
3: <laughs> <And it's>
1: still, <laughs> yeah, there the car go. is still
3: going. <laughs> <laughs> the car is still going. Yeah, 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 hundred percent, hundred percent. And I, I think. Uh, as you, as a business founder, this is your legacy to the world. Like for me, this is more than unblended. This is like my my piece of art, for lack of any other artistic skill. This is what I want mm-hmm. to leave to the world: a like good design that hopefully has a meaningful impact in our supply chain. I think, I mean, if you think about it, everything in the human world was designed by people with the same abilities as I, as us in this conversation. Like all the business, every country, every law, every philosophy, you know, every even every religion, you know, yeah. um, every system like the coffee system. So why cannot we change it? We have smartphones. Most people didn't.
1: <laughs> so the um, the decisions those young farmers take, um, they are they are quite impactful. So they need a lot of learning from their side it needs skill it needs maybe financing uh, at some part and it's taking risks so it's like match uh, lighting those matches like even if you like you have a framework you help them you have made some some experiences which you, they don't have to make anymore um it is still scary it is their it's their own production environment it's their own farm and can you help me a little bit on that thought i really have for so many years Farmers always have to think a little bit long term because of the nature of the business. Like uh, plants are not growing overnight, especially coffee plants it might take like four years to to get to full production. If there coffee plants, are, you know, if there's like some leaf rust or diseases and climate change and weather in general and, and the market, it's a scary thing. How, how do you manage that and how do you help them to get through those dark rooms and, yeah. and find, 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 find the light room,
3: the light room. So <laughs> there, uh, there is a good thing about, a, and a bad thing about working with young coffee producers. So the first thing is that the average age of a coffee grower in Colombia is 63. And yeah. this is a, A global problem. If you take the average, the average age of any farmer in the world is over 55. Mm -hmm. So I was just looking more statistics between in Colombia between 1993 and 2021, the population over 60 years old grew by 2.5 percent. And this is only Mm -hmm. this is data from the National Federation of Coffee. Mm
2: -hmm. Uh,
3: So when we're these guys are almost like rebels, and that's a good thing about working with them they already are getting stuff from their parents like don't live the life that i've lived go work and in the city go to the city go pursue better opportunities their parents are telling them that valeria's dad got mad at us because he want he wants her to go and study in in medellin because they have the means and he wants her daughter obviously to have a career. And Valeria is so romantic, like you should meet her, that she wants to stay and be a farmer. I can, later I can read you guys a poem that she wrote on, on this idea. So, awesome. yeah. so, so, the fact that we have this group of 30 young people, a lot of them are in their early 20s, it, it, it already makes things a lot easier because it's hard, as you're, te- as you're saying. It takes long-term vision. It takes. It takes, you know, putting the extra work. So the fact that they're they're wanting to go against what's expected from them, already makes it a lot easier. The hard part is their parents, because if we're working with, um, people with, with with you know young people like we're essentially working with their their parents as well. So this feels sometimes like an extra curriculum school activity (laughs) that we have to like ask their parents for permission, you know, really the negotiation is with their parents, you know, we, we like made and all let's do this black honey. And then, but we have Mm -hmm. to like agree on the price with the parents. So the opportunity cost is there for them. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so that makes it hard. So it, it, but since they're, they're I guess children, you know, people at UV are so passionate and Nick, mm-hmm. Nick, you'll, you'll see this when you go like every, every time I cry, this is so moving, <laughs> so passionate. Yeah, really, yeah. really, really, really. Uh, it just makes it easier because, you know, they see their children, like their sons and daughters just being so passionate about this project that they're like, okay, you know, you know, I know I've never done a black honey, but if you're going to buy it, it's, it's okay, let's try it, you know, let's do this experiment.
1: So, yeah. um, so your uh, your purchasing guarantee comes in uh, as a, like a support uh, for those farmers and say, well, you you try something out, but we guarantee your market.
3: Yeah, 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 hundred percent. We we don't we don't offer these experiments to all of everybody. No, mm-hmm. so they have to be coming to the Uwe events frequently. We first buy their washed coffee. We first invite them. So it is like, it comes with levels. When we get a new member, they usually, their coffee usually goes into a community lot, a blend, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but Mm -hmm. we have two. We have a washed community lot and a cochadas, which is like an extended fermentation,
2: Yeah.
3: and then if they're involved, engaged, then we buy their washed and then as a single lot. And when, when they, when we buy it and we sell it, we invite them to, um, a call with the roaster. Mm-hmm. so whoever buys their coffee we meet in a call and we talk about how we're going to present this coffee mm-hmm. so that's why valeria wrote that poem that's why you know we um we did like a a, a community mm-hmm. run with carolina because she's a runner and then the, the mm-hmm. roaster that buys it is a runner as well so a lot of these <coughs> things that make um coffee more exciting than mm-hmm. just the coffee right so if this um we members are engaged and wanting to do these things and wanting to take these calls and wanting to write this poem. Well, Valeria just suggested that, but wanting to mm-hmm. do, go the extra mile. Then we propose uh, uh, a black honey, a natural, and then we do like a guarantee. So it's just...
1: How do you, how do, you do on language? Uh, I always found that uh, language and culture, really, that's a, to me a fascinating topic. Um, Language can be translated, culture probably also, but it's a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you work with that? Um, I mean,
3: I, I don't know. I've, like, because every, you know, roaster that comes in te- and teaches a lecture is in English. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess, I'm guess, I've become good at simultaneously translating um, mm-hmm. English to Spanish and, and back and forth. So I'm usually the translator in the calls and mm-hmm. uh, those lectures. But uh, also, my sister is good at that, and the, but the translation is is as you said, it's not literal. it's also you have to explain context, and people mm-hmm. usually say this because of this like mm. please, please concede, like please say thank you. this is what they're expecting to hear, things like that you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah there's a few gra- ground rules uh you can right, get right, in, right. like in any culture yeah mm-hmm. yeah <clears throat> go to japan you try to bow a little bit mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: stuff like that not too hard but there's there's uh yeah there's underlying uh, harder things to understand no cool um
0: i know i didn't say much but i love listening to that all to me both and lucas thank you man for sharing all of that it's amazing amazing what you're doing
1: yeah, it's highly inspiring, Lucas. amazing, amazing. I um, Same here, I was listening the whole time, and she was like, oh, what, like there's so many pieces of gold in there. So uh, I'm very appreciative of what you do and also very, uh, very happy that you share with us and with our listeners. Thank you so very much. Thank you, thank you.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Coffee & Technology Podcast. To learn more about Cropster, subscribe to this podcast and follow us on social media. For more educational content, visit cropster.com forward slash learn.